Thanks for tuning in to another episode of A Quick Timeout. Today's guest is Jordan Sperber, creator and owner of Hoop Vision. This week's episode centered around the topic of defense and particularly the Texas Tech Red Raiders defense. There are a lot of defensive gems in this one, things that have the potential to take your defense to another level. I know you'll enjoy it. Before we start, thanks as always to our friends at 323 Sports. If you haven't done so yet, give these guys a call. Uniforms, equipment, coaching gear, Mike, Keith, and Travis are the best, and they can set you up with any of those things. So before you make another purchase, at least shoot them an email for a quote. You can connect with them at 323sports.com. Now, here's my interview with Jordan Sperber. Great to have Jordan Sperber on the show today. Jordan, the, the college season is only about a week old, but what's the best action or set that you've seen so far this year? Mm, that's a good question. I I guess this isn't even really my opinion so much as just based off of like likes and retweets of things that I've tweeted. I think the most popular thing X's and O's wise that I've tweeted has been a UNC Greensboro play. Uh, they started out in horns and everyone likes to run a little four or five ball screen at the elbow uh, in, in horns. I know Memphis, they run that four or five ball screen. A lot of teams run it. And so UNC Greensboro had a little twist on it where they go set a stagger away for they throw to the el- throw to the elbow, set a stagger away for the guy in the corner of the horns And then that guy actually comes up and he's the one who sets the elbow ball screen. And then they have like roll roll replace action as that's happening. And it works really well for them because they run a lot of stuff with that stagger. So you can't scout it out. You don't know necessarily what's coming next. It's it's disguised and uh, people seem to seem to like that action. People love those kinds of actions and the fact that they just love horns, place. <laughs> yeah, if you put horns in a tweet, that's like 50 more likes. And also, Coach Wes Miller. I, I have a feeling he is a secret that will not be a secret very long. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. I, I like, uh, he has the Carolina background, so there's like a little bit of secondary break in there. There's some NBA stuff like motion weak, motion strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, some mover blocker stuff. It's it's a good mix, uh, specifically for for teams that have a lot of shooting. I, I would definitely definitely check him out. All right, so I, I want to get to the main topic here today, and I usually have guests talk about the stuff that they have going on towards the end of the episode, but because it's related to what we're talking about today, can you talk about the new podcast that you're doing with uh, Gibson Piper over at Half Court Hoops? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure most of your listeners probably know Gibson. Uh, he he puts out great stuff on college and the NBA uh, at Half Court Hoops, like you said. I'm more college focused, uh, but we we teamed up. We've been talking about doing it for a long time. It's called the Big Game Pod. You can find it on any any of the the regular podcast apps. Big Game Pod, uh, and we we pick a a matchup each week, and we do a pregame podcast where it's basically like we are maybe a coaching staff of two and talking about the keys to our scouting, our game planning, what we think is going to happen in the game. It's pretty technical, I think. And and we do mix in analytics as well into the mix and, you know, talk a little bit about some stories behind our scouting and in our past coaching experiences. Um, And so like I said, that we're doing Memphis and Oregon this week. We did the Champions Classic last week. We're going to pick 
either the biggest game of the week or a particularly good X's and O's matchup, not necessarily uh, like the best two teams every week. And then we do the post game too, where we, where we recap what happens. We do a lot of charting just like a coach would after a game. Uh, what, you know, how many times they scored off of this play or how many points they gave up off of this ball screen coverage. Uh, and, and yes, yeah, so that'll be going on throughout the season. I love it so far, but that's right up my alley. Uh, those that are listening, check it out after you get done listening to this podcast. This particular episode is going to be a little bit like those big game podcasts in that we're going to break down, but we're going to break down a team. And, and I wanted to focus specifically on Texas Tech's defense. I'm kind of doing this a little bit selfishly. Again, those that have listened to this, these conversations are, if I'm honest, really for me, but I record them so others can hear them. And Texas Tech was one of the teams that last March I really focused in on. I wrote a, an article for Fast Model. I'll link that in the show notes if you want to check it out. But for the, for the first time, probably a lot of people had the chance to see them play if they hadn't seen Chris Beard's teams play before. I know, Jordan, that as people were watching those games, I mean, Texas Tech was holding teams to some ridiculously low numbers. And they may have thought, oh, wow, that, that defense is really good, but may not have known exactly why it was so effective. And I think in general, sometimes defense can get a little bit oversimplified. You know, you use good technique, you play hard, and you'll be a good team defensively. That's not necessarily the case with Texas Tech's defense, right? That's right, yeah. That that was definitely evident. I think the first time I did any Texas Tech stuff last year was uh, right before their Duke game, which must have been in either November or, or December. And uh, I put out a video about the no middle and their foot angles, uh, especially. And, you know, my audience isn't quite just coaches. There's, there's a lot of hardcore college basketball fans in there too. And I remember getting a bunch of tweets at me. Like I had no idea that this type of like that, that teams worked on something like this. And I think it's a good, it's, it is sophisticated, but it's also like, once you know it, it's not all that complex. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, it was more just like uh, showing it a couple of times. And then I don't think you can really unsee it. How, committed they are to keeping the ball out of the middle i know uh, another comment that i've gotten is uh, from from some coaches is the difference between no middle and forcing baseline which i kind of do understand i guess forcing baseline is a more extreme version of no middle but for texas tech they they force baseline (laughs) i mean they're as extreme as you can be and there's there's reasons for that and we we can get into it yeah i was looking recently at their numbers on synergy from last season Uh, they played about 93 percent of their possessions in man and gave up less than 0.8 points per possession which in itself is extremely impressive but what i thought maybe was even more impressive was the fact that both their zone defense and their press defense gave up even fewer points per possession in those categories And, and you don't I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't often see teams with such high ratings in multiple categories like that, do you? Well, I would think that it it's somewhat correlated. Like if, if we thought about um, any good top 10 defense, they would probably still be pretty good if they played the opposite, if they played man or they played zone. Um, but I think it's a good point about Texas Tech. I didn't really cover it much last year because, like you said, it was 93% man. Mm-hmm. So from just like a almost like a media perspective, it would, it would be kind of be uh, bearing the lead to talk too much about that, about the zone, which and, and they do some run and jump too. That, that, those were their two things. They'll, they'll start in a 2-3 and, and match up. 
um, usually go to go back to man before the before the possession's over, and then they do run and jump and trap you. Uh, and I mean, they were committed to it. They they even did it a couple times a game in their NCAA tournament games. Yeah, they, it was. It's interesting. You don't, you know, if you think of other elite defenses like a Virginia, it's like they're doing the same thing every single time. They're just going to be Virginia every time. Uh, but but they had success with with the change up defenses too. Texas Tech. I think just to the point that you already talked about, just how committed they are and the basic principles that they follow and stick to. So what do you feel like are probably the two or three things? I know you said, you know, no middle force baseline, but what are they telling their defense? These are our absolutes and this is what we're trying to accomplish each possession. From from the film, and I think this is a testament to how good of a defensive team they are, is is you can see what they're teaching. That's probably the the best compliment you could give to to a defense is that you don't need to go to a practice or talk to the coaches to to understand what they're trying to accomplish. But yeah, the the most unique thing about Texas Tech's defense last year and it was and this year too, which they're doing the same thing this year. It's it's conventional wisdom right now in especially in the NBA, but but it, I guess at the highest levels of of defense um to stay out of rotations as much as possible. And what Texas Tech does is they're always in rotations, but it's the exact same rotation every single time. So they're going to force you to drive baseline. I mean, you can take clips from last year of like Jared Culver completely, completely on the high side. And there's no way he could possibly stay in front of his man, but that's fine. That's They want that. Uh, so they, they want you to drive baseline and then they meet you outside the paint. They're extremely good at taking charges in their two games this year. I was counting them yesterday they've already got already probably tried to take about 15 of them and i'd say six or seven got called um so they they meet you at the paint and then they have uh so i I call him the helper then i the dropper is the guy who protects the basket and then the zoner is is the guy who plays two on the weak side and it's the really to me it's it's their rotations are almost zone like and mm-hmm. and they get away with it because there's no randomness involved. They've removed one of the hardest parts about about uh, recovering out of rotations and defending the three point line is you don't necessarily know where everything's going to happen. Uh, but by forcing baseline and just inviting that rotation and they have length and athleticism. They they kind of like cheated cheated their way to really one of the best defenses in in the last twenty years last year. As a coach, one of the things that has been helpful for us this year is removing the if thens. And I think that that's what you just said. We did it primarily. We've tried to focus in on our offense, removing the if thens. But defensively, if you can remove the if thens, you cut down on the number of rotations and you increase the level of consistency in what you're doing. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes. And offensively, I think it's actually a trade-off between spacing and randomness. So there are certain teams, probably the best example is like a Villanova, who, I mean, they just prioritize spacing over everything else. That's mm-hmm. that's uh, that's what they do. And then there are other teams uh, like Texas Tech, who runs who runs like a an old Bob Knight style of motion offense. They they give up spacing. You know, people say spacing is offense and offense is spacing. I think it's a little bit oversimplified uh, because randomness can lead to baskets too. It's 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 uh 
it, it's preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the NBA has probably gone more towards spacing. You know, the the Warriors were the one exception of a team that was still uh, basically running a, a motion offense. And um, at the college level, that's that's kind of what attracts me to it is that you have some teams that have all this uh, movement and uh, randomness, and then you have some teams that are spaced and and uh, you can win both ways. One of the things that isn't random is the fact that probably almost everybody these days has some sort of ball screen offense in their playbook. And when it comes to defending that, the Red Raiders aren't your typical like hedge or even ice ball screen defense. How is their ball screen defense different from those traditional ways that we typically teach ball screen defense? Right. So we actually mentioned this on on the big game pod, Gibson and I, I, I mentioned how I had seen so many teams icing so far this season and there's 353 division one teams in the country and it can be pretty hard to make any uh, broad statements about trends around the country like i don't know one person cannot possibly watch uh, enough games to really do that but that i i've certainly noticed it in the games that i've watched and and gibson brought up he said oh it's texas tech it's you know that's everyone's copying texas tech and and that's a great point obviously texas tech is no middle to begin with and so that's perfect for icing and, and keeping the ball on the on the sideline what they started to do more and more last season is ice to switch so they keep their foot angles they keep you out of the middle and and they're great at it but ice is is from a from a data perspective and an analytics perspective, ICE has kind of won out as the best ball screen coverage. But the issue is it's, in my opinion, the hardest, and this one isn't necessarily backed up by data, but in my opinion, it's, it's the hardest one to actually execute. So given that you can get to the high side and that the big can get to where he's supposed to be on that, on that baseline side and you don't let them use the screen, and all these things happen, then then it's great. But the problem is if, if a team ever puts any type of uh, mo- movement into that screen, you know, they, they dribble handoff or any type of speed into that, that ball screen, it's a tough thing to execute. And so what Texas Tech has done is they, they still prioritize no middle, like no matter what, you're keeping the ball out of the middle. But they switch it once you do uh, force the ball baseline so now there's not nearly as much pressure on that on-ball def- defender. Maybe some unrealistic uh, expectation to keep the ball out of the middle and then to recover back too. So it's ice, 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 and then a late switch uh, once you've successfully kept the ball out of the middle. Do you ever see the ball handler start to snake the screen and cause problems? Yeah, so uh, probably a month or two ago, I did five ways to score against Texas Tech's defense, and that was one of them, mm-hmm. uh, Snake. I haven't seen it so much this year. They have played two pretty weak teams in, in their first two games, uh, but it definitely happened last year. In general, I think that that is one slight deficiency, I guess, or, or a, a, a tendency for breakdown in, in Texas Tech is that big after they switch occasionally – I remember it with Odiase last year. Culver was, or uh, Owens was pretty good at it, but with Odiase, he would he would get the switch and he'd forget about his foot angles for like a half a second. And mm-hmm. and since he's a whatever he was six ten six eleven big, he probably can't afford to forget about it for for half a second. 
And so that was definitely an area where they could, where teams could get in the middle. Now they had a ton of rim protection and they are, are the best team in the country at taking charges. So they could usually clean up those mistakes anyways, but that was, that was definitely something I noticed. Does the switch guy, you talked about foot angles, does he go out and kind of almost like attack the ball handler a little bit to continue to push him to the side? Or do you go push him back out towards the perimeter? Or what's the, what's the remedy for that? That's, that's a good question. If, if you think about it, if let's say your, your man is, if you're the big there and your man's sprinting up to screen, you've got to go sprint with them. It's pretty hard to then, uh, to be naturally adjusting your foot angles to the, to force baseline on that play. Like you have, you, you have to be running with your man. You ideally, you want to keep a little bit of contact, you know, stay attached is, is I guess the teaching point there. And so, yeah, I think that they go more, uh, square on their close, what, what's essentially a closeout when they switch out onto that, onto that ball handler. And then they start to, to sneak up and, and force baseline. Now I think that offenses, uh, aren't, are sometimes can struggle at attacking those switches and, you know, Oh, I, I have the big on me and now it's dribble, 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 and then go. And so they, they, that probably bails them out a little bit on that. But I mean, like I said, it, it you can get up in pressure and be aggressive when you have that uh, rim protection behind you. But switching in general, are, are you a proponent of it or do you still think it's something that this should be personnel driven? Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely in favor of switching. I think that it depends on your personnel for sure as to how you're going to help out of that switching. Uh, but my my biggest thing the the thing I dislike the most is is when a team switches and then they go one on one uh, the the offense goes one on one against the switch and then they overhelp the defense overhelps on that one on one situation it's like and maybe winds up in rotation you were switching in the first place to stay out of rotations to stay out of that help situation at that point you kind of have to live with with that one on one. Uh, I, I do think that there are certain teams that that would be better for switching, you know, like like sized players it would, would, would be a big one. But in general, I think that uh, that it's a pretty good strategy. I would assume that the analytics, because of the fact of forcing the offense to take as many mid-range jumpers as possible, if you find yourself in that position, teaching your low footed player to mm-hmm. almost sit back and give up the mid-range jump shot? Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, I, I remember Steve Novak, this was years ago when when he was on the Knicks, and he had like great synergy defense, which synergy defensive numbers always come with, with uh, some major caveats, but he had great one-on-one defense, uh, despite having the reputation of being like the worst one-on-one defender in the NBA. And it's because those types of defenders tend to get bailed out. Uh, you know, you, you're the offensive players eyes light up that mm. that they have the mismatch on them and their threshold for shot selection changes. So I think that you can use that to your advantage a little bit. And then we, we've also seen like fly switching or uh, triple switching. There's a lot of different terms for it where where you can get rid of that mismatch, not as common at at the college level, but there are teams doing it. And I would assume that the other one is people are always afraid of a mismatch in the post, to which I would say, just go double the post with your big and then rotate out of it, right? Right. Double it, uh, front it. 
and and help on the weak side, especially if they they don't have great shooting in, in that uh, weak side corner, or just push the catch out far. I mean, post efficiency goes way down if uh, if it's not if it's not a deep duck in or a deep seal. You know, it, again, it's a little bit uh, dependent on the personnel, and then and then the other thing, there's like a game theory component to all this that maybe you need to mix up your coverage. Uh, for either from game to game or within the game to to not let uh, the the offense get comfortable, but generally speaking, I think that there are there are solutions to the the next responses to switching, like and very practical solutions. Yeah, the 76ers were great at this last year. They would always switch. They switch one through five, and then JJ Redick would somehow always be on the seven foot guy. And they would switch so early that as the ball was in the air, he would literally turn and sprint away from the guy while like Ben Mm. Simmons or Embiid would run towards the guy that was receiving the ball. So interesting and some different things that you could do if you, if you wanted to do that. So just talking about like Texas tech going back to them, is there anything, anything other than what we've talked about that they do? That's just kind of atypical that offenses aren't used to seeing and aren't prepared for. I think that one thing worth talking about is because of their, you know, the terminology I use, which again is, is not Chris Beard or Mark Adams's terminology, but the first helper, the dropper, and the zoner. Because because of the way that they're they're forcing baseline and then assigning those roles, I think that weak side spacing is extremely, extremely important against Texas Tech. And the way I would look at it is just like you change like if you were going to play Syracuse's two three zone, you wouldn't be running your man stuff in, in practice that week and, and getting ready for for Syracuse, um, and 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 play when you play them in the game. Uh, and I think that there's an element of that against Texas Tech, and I would I feel like coaches would be hesitant to do it. It would it would only almost be like giving them too much respect. That's that's how some coaches would would feel about it, mm-hmm. uh, where you know it'd be like they're this this would be like a, a pregame speech you know they're good but we're gonna do what we do like that that kind of thing and I think that the that their scheme probably necessitates not necessarily doing exactly what you do that specifically when teams put a player right at the top of the key and a player right in the weak side corner the zoner it's it's just not really possible to guard two with with great spacing like that. They are a great deflection team, and they get their hands on on passes out. And it's it's by no means going to be easy to score against them. But you know your your game plan, your scouting should be marginally increasing marginally increasing your points per possession, regardless of if the opponent is good or bad. We're, we're talking on the margins here, and so I think that there are, that that's. It'll be interesting to see teams uh, in the NCAA tournament last year tried to do some things um, against them. It's not like I had this is a revolutionary idea. Coaches have definitely tried um, some stuff, but I'm I'm excited to see now that it's another year what what a offense is trying to do. Something that Gibson pointed out last year uh, that that was an idea that I hadn't thought about before. But when we talk about ATOs, usually we're referring to some sort of like special offensive play that you run out of a timeout. But but Texas Tech actually runs some defensive ATOs. Have, have you seen them or, or any team use anything specifically like that? Definitely like blitzing the first ball screen out of a timeout or even run and jump. You know, UNC is another team. I think it, it comes from Dean Smith, the 
the run and jump defense, maybe a, a, like a, a team that runs a lot of horns or elbow catches, you would all out deny the elbow. That's interesting, though. I, I, uh, I do, do you have any more specific examples of, of that? The one that he was talking about was just like trapping the first pass. I think gotcha. it was the video that he showed, which is kind of the maybe it may be something similar to kind of run and jump. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would. I, we've done this already. We did this earlier this year. Our first opponent, we hadn't really worked on ball screen defense. I mean, we had had like 10 practices or something like that. And, you know, the ball screen was just killing us. So we did what you said. We just went out and blitzed the ball screen and and tried to get the ball out of the ball handler's hand. I th- it doesn't have to be anything revolutionary. I think it's just something that maybe they didn't prepare for or that. You just try, and from a coach's perspective, you know how that goes. Like you get one turnover, and it somehow energizes the whole de- whole defense when you do something like that. So I think it's just the same purpose that an offensive ATO works. It just kind of gives you a shot in the arm that maybe you can get a quick hitter or something like that to to get you a turnover or something there to start the half or out of a quarter or out of a timeout. So this exact uh, like discussion is actually what I find so attractive about analytics and data is my first instinct, and, and what you said makes total sense, but my first instinct is to want to go back and look at every D1 or every NBA possession where a team came out of a timeout and switched their ball screen coverage mm-hmm. or where they went to zone or, or just switched defenses in general and see what the effect was on the next possession. Mm-hmm. Now, to be frank, at the college level, we don't really have that data available. I think I think they probably would at the at the NBA level, uh, but that's it. Goes back to like no one can possibly watch 353 teams, um, and and numbers and data can, and that doesn't mean that it's easy to do. It takes you know talented data scientists, uh, you know, and then also some talented people who understand the game to to direct you know maybe they're the same person to ask and answer these questions but that's always been the thing that has attracted me to analytics is uh a lot of times in, in coaching discussions like people it, it makes a lot of sense and and it's a great idea but I, I like to see the the data behind it while you were talking there maybe think of one more another one would be like coming out and starting in a zone and then like after one or two passes, switching over Switch. to, to a man or something like that. And you would think that would take away the offenses, whatever they drew up, their ATO, you know, their their backdoor cut that they're trying to get a layup off of or something like that. And let's be honest, I just love looking down at the other bench and seeing the coach scramble to and get mad that he just ruined his last 30 seconds of his timeout drawing up some play or whatever. So <laughs> even if they score, I have. I feel good about it a little bit. <laughs> kind of finishing up, I wanted to give you the chance to talk about Hoop Vision and then maybe ways that people can connect with you on the internet. So you kind of want to direct listeners to anything in particular? Yeah. Well, thank you for having me, Tony. Um, Hoop Vision is a Twitter account and a newsletter. Uh, so the Twitter account is Hoop Vision 68 The the link to the, the newsletter is in the bio there, but, but you can go to hoopvisionhq.com. And uh, yeah, we, we launched Hoop Vision Plus uh, about a month or two ago here, and there are over 50 uh, Division One teams signed up, and then also a ton of fans as well. Uh, so it's not just for coaches, but coaches have uh, found that it has added value to their program, and um, it's, it's uh, two or three times a week uh, posts on... X's and O's around the country, analytics um, that kind of relate to the X's and O's. So a lot of my work is 
is the um, relationship between the scheme and the X's and O's and the numbers and the data. And yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you if, if you're listening to this podcast and, and find that kind of stuff interesting. Um, yeah, the Twitter account is HoopVision68. Great stuff. If Jordan's willing, we'd, we'd love to have him back on sometime. Maybe we'll talk about offense. I know everybody loves offense. Um, you know, we'll pick something fun. I said fun, so no, none of the mover blocker <laughs> stuff. I saw you posted some tweets about that. That, <laughs> hey, that offense kind of puts me to sleep. I, I just report the news. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm sure I just offended somebody, some mover blocker fan out there, but oh well. So uh, that's Jordan Sperber from Hoop Vision. Jordan, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Tony. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and share the podcast with your coaching friends to help us grow the game. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.